You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Bradfoe Show for what will be the last time in the 2023 season. Technically, the 2023 season's over for the Red Sox. 2023 season's still going for a lot of other teams, though. We wish we were all there. We hope that those teams are getting powered by a certain friend of ours, which I, if, guys, I'm having trouble remembering the name. What, what's our friend? Oh, Oh, that's right, McFarland. Coop, you must be outside your mind. You need some. I need, I'm a little tired. I need a little energy. I, I need a little McFarland in me. Long season. But you need an injection of. Of some good McFarland That's right. But we are putting a bow on things. Uh, the Red Sox, they actually took two games from a 100-win team, Baltimore Orioles. I mean, what don't a way to go out. What a way to go out, boys. Don't let it get hard. End it on a high note. Are, are we unstoppable? I mean, no other team can say that they were the last team to beat one of the best teams in the AL as they head out in the season. I mean... If 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 the Orioles lose every game from here on out, we were the last team to beat them. Technically, the Red Sox can't. The twenty twenty three Red Sox cannot be stopped from this point. Also forward. fact, also factual, dude. If, if, if there were, if there was another month in the season, huh, let me tell. Oh. You, let me tell you, we no. Okay, to be totally clear, this is a joke. The Red Sox, the <laughs> Red Sox won't have the worst <laughs> batting average in the postseason this uh, off season or this year. You got to take the wins where yeah. you can get them. Um, any other semantics that we can pull to make ourselves feel good about this? Tristan Cassis technically won't strike out again this season. That's pretty sweet. Um, uh, we probably won't see Bobby Dalbeck again. Okay, that one's kind of hurtful. Um, yeah. I don't know. No. Nope. Nope. No, nope. I, I don't know. Nope. The, the Worcester good. train shots were kind of cool. Those were fun for like the month of June. Good spot. That was fun. That's a good. That's a good that spot. Yeah, for fun. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. we had some good minor league highlights this season for the Red Sox. I enjoyed that minor league year. I were hey, I said right up. I don't know if anyone remembers when I cut this promo early on in the year, where I said I was all about the minor league World Series. I'm not about the World Series at the the major league level. I was first to that. Now, no one delivered. Portland did not do well. Worcester did not do terribly well. Um. I don't really know how single A did. I know that they they had they won, they, they they won, won it all. all. They won it all. I kind of yeah, tuned out at the yeah. end once things got I, dire I, for the Red Sox in September. But yeah, so I mean, congrats to High A. Uh, we did something there. We got ourselves a nice little trophy. Uh, Kyle Teal is looking very handsome up up there. I I love what's going on there. The Red Sox farm system finished off the year, you know, but be, between either number three or number 15, depending on which list you want to look at. So that was improvements down on the farm. And mostly, mostly top, top five. five. I would go with that. Was it ESPN that had them ranked 15th? MLB Pipeline had them had them at like 16. But I know that Bleacher... Or, yeah, no, Bleacher Report had them at the best, but Baseball America had them top five. Who's the other one? Another... Oh, uh, Fangraphs. Fangraphs had Fang- them top five. Prospectus had both... Uh, Anthony and Meyer as like top 10 prospects. I don't know if they ranked systems, but they, they were high. feels like everyone besides Pipeline and I think ESPN, Coop, I think you're right on that. 
I think everyone besides so those where, two. I want to say ESPN had him 12 I know they had him outside the 10, which I felt personally, yeah, he was like 12. personally targeted on that. I don't know what was going on there. I agree. Kylie McDaniel, we might need to yeah. have a chat. Yeah. But so all in all, uh, things could be better. I guess we could leave it at that. And um, we kind of, I mean, what did you guys take away from that last series? I don't, anything. Quick vibe check, Sammy. Um, I, yeah. My thoughts, I mean, that last series, the Red Sox are, they're definitely a, yep. a team. They have 26 men, at least, on the roster. And and boy, do they show up. Uh, do they? They literally show up. And that's can't all say can much say. with what they, they do with that, but they do show up. Present on the field, you can count on that, except for Verdugo sometimes. <clears throat> but yeah, he just comes later. Present on the field, he shows up. He just shows up. That's later. fine. I mean, dude. I mean, he's. He, we're playing baseball. We're not doing brain surgery here. Buddy, I was taking so a nap before this. I would understand if he wants to take a nap before he has to go into work. It's perfectly understandable. It's just you can't can't sleep too long. Well, people don't really realize that we we always do a halftime nap. We cut the podcast halfway through. We all take a 30-minute nap, and then we wake up and do the second half of the podcast. We've been doing that since the first one. I thought it's that was not efficient at all, but boy, do I feel good in that second half of the podcast. And that's why you should actually, you know, people tune out sometimes. You look at, like, the metrics, Google Analytics, beep, boop, bop. I punch that into, you know, R, R markdown for all my data people out there. And uh, it shows me people tune out halfway through. But we're energized halfway through by McFarland, so tune into that. Um yeah, so I mean, like, all in all, things didn't really go out with a bang. They got the win, um, a somber, somber Sunday, but they got the win for Wake. We'll touch upon that at the end. Uh, and we kind of head into an off season where we don't really know where things are going, but we have to look back at the year as a whole. So we are going to cut some superlatives here. Um, we have a very nice list going. It's Best hitter, best pitcher, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and everyone's favorite moment. Um, so we're just gonna go, just go right through that list. Best hitter, uh, Gordo. What do you think? Who who wowed you at the plate this year? You know, best. I'm taking a little bit more than just the numbers into account here. The best hitter on the Red Sox this year was Justin Turner. He was the most valuable offensive player on the Red Sox this year. It's not, it goes beyond the numbers. It's the clutch hitting. It's the leadership. It's the fact that he came in in year one and established himself as the guy that anyone struggling can come to. Young players can come to veterans can come to you come to for anything. He's going to be a vocal leader lead by example. He almost reached hundred RBIs for the first time in his career. I'm pretty sure he still set a career high there which is pretty remarkable. The dude played through a, what was it? A bone bruise in his heel for basically he got, I think he sustained that on August 1st. So he played two months on that. Even when the Red Sox were mathematically eliminated, he continued to keep playing. There's no more. Okay. You know what? There's no better ability than availability. And he made himself available and more. So Justin Turner, the heart and hustle award. That's basically what you just gave him there. Except he's a stud at the plate too, Coop. Come on, twenty plus bombs, almost. No, I don't. I, I had him written down as I. Give him his due. I don't know if you guys have ever played Scategories. Is that a game that you guys have ever played? You write down the names or whatnot. Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, no, Coop. You got to get your weight up then, about. boys. Uh, great game if people are listening. You, you, ha- like you have a bunch of categories. You have a certain letter you write down. You try not to repeat what other people say. I was going to say Justin Turner. I explicitly like in the game of categories. You got to think outside the box. Um, so I went a little different. But like that's because I knew that Justin Turner deserved this award from one of us. And I wanted I, I knew someone was going to be bringing him up. So I'm happy you brought him up, Gordo. Well said. Yeah, great, greatly said. Yeah, I was I gonna, this, don't let everyone jump at once. I mean, do do I just jump now? I'll jump. All right, I'm ready, I'm ready All right I'll go. You want me to go? No, All you right, go. go. Okay, no, I'll, I'll go. go. You go. All right. My hitter, best hitter on the Red Sox for 2023 is stud rookie first baseman Tristan Casas. And let me tell you why. This guy was awful for the first month of the season. We all remember it. Everybody and their mother was calling for this guy to be sent down to AAA. Actually, I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people were calling for this guy to be sent down to AAA. They wanted Dahlbeck up, who we've seen two seasons worth of, and they wanted Casas gone. He had a, oh God, he had a uh, brutal, brutal April and March. He hit 133 with a 576 OPS. Then in May, turns it on a little bit, 766 OPS. You start to see those signs of improvement. He's figuring it out. And then June, that's when stuff gets crazy. 851 OPS. July, 1,199 OPS. August, 918 OPS. And then September, 858. He ends the season with a 129 OPS plus. Let me remind you, that's the 23-year-old rookie on the Red Sox. So my God, what a future. And you got to imagine what would those numbers be if he didn't start off ice cold? Got to imagine he starts off hotter next year. So Tristan Casas, not just for what he did at the plate, but mentally to like fight through that with this fan base. We know how passionate we can get. He was unbelievable this year. Full marks the to him. 442 on base Stun. percentage in July is what absolutely kills me because everyone was just pointing to him striking out. Everyone was just pointing to him not getting on base. And it's not even just like the slugging or the, like just the batting average. It's the fact that he was getting on base and it's, it goes right to what Gordo said. It's the availability, like, and it's being there in an opportunity and you set yourself up to like, to win. That's just what he's doing for the Red Sox every day by getting on base. So that was awesome to see. I would have liked to have seen him stay healthy in the month of August and come down in September and really, you know, compete with Gunnar Henderson for that that rookie of the year because at one point that was all that the Red Sox had going for them was that they either had Yoshida or Cassis increasing those odds to at least win something on the national stage. Um, unfortunately, that didn't work out. But I mean, I I think everyone here is in unison saying they're they're pretty optimistic on seeing what happens with Cassis going forward, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm comfortably going to pencil him in for 30-plus home runs in, in his age 24 season next year. Like, that's – the kid's unbelievable. And the, the composure he has, I want to go back to that. So many guys we've seen crumble over the years with the intense criticism you get here in Boston didn't bother Casas one bit. He kept doing his thing, painting the nails, yoga in the grass before the game. I love this guy. He's different, and we need more. 30? You're saying 30. I'll say, yeah, 30 plus. I'll, I'll give you a more firm number as we get closer to the season, but I'm pretty comfortable in saying 30 plus, barring some awful injury. Don't put that out there, Ricky time. Bobby. Don't you do that. <laughs> I, but 
I'm willing. Do you want to make a bet right now on that? Thirty. Let's make a bet right now. You want to make something interesting out of this? No, no let's do something you, interesting. Cooper, are you a, are you a doubter? I'm not a doubter. Cooper, I think that's just like a super out there like doubter. It, that's a big ask. What's crazy that's about that? He hit uh, 24 this year. You don't think he can hit six more? Do you want to? What do you want to bet on this? What do you want? Miss some time at the end of the year and struggle in April. How about some Red at Sox seeds? At the rate seeds, he was huh? going from May through August, some 2025. All right, all right. All right. no, 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 no. 2025 seats. This is the way, this, is, this is the the who says no way too early bet of 2024. Gordo said or not Gordo. Sammy says 30 home runs for Cassis. I'm going to be the house on this. In say you're you're okay. So you're it's 30 and a half. I'm going, going over. I'm going to go the under. Loser buys the other tickets for the two of us. We can have a nice little date in 2025. Shake on that. Shake on that. The mm-hmm. way too early. Who says no bet? Let's go. Do you guys understand that this bet is literally going to be going yes. on? Like you're we gonna, have to, the winner has to remember pay the other like a year and a half from now. Like, They're going to be talking about this like, on That's CNN part of the challenge of this is like the winner has to like be the one to be like invested. If you don't cash in on this, that's on you. If he hits 28 home runs next year, I'm going to totally forget about the bet and say that it never happened. So just so you know. Yeah, uh, Coop's going to be financially in shambles. Yeah, no, gonna gonna... <laughs> it's going to be bad. All right. So, so moving on. Yeah, Cass is 2025 going to help me hey. out. Um, Pat. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that my pick is not the board yet to be honest with you, but I mean, Kike was very, no, I'm um, uh, no, my, those are my top two is Devers and Turner, or Casas and Turner. I'm going to go Devers. Just mix it up a little bit. No, what continue, do you mean? Uh, if this is the worst Devers we see in the next 10 years, is a 277 average, 30 home runs and a hundred RBI? Yeah, I'm for that. I, 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 I expect him to 10, do better. 10, 10. I mean, that's not saying it's a bad year, but like, I do expect I, him to do better. No, I, I mean, I do too. But I mean, for a guy who's going to play 150 plus games a year, even when he's bad, is still a top three third baseman outputting 100 RBI, 30 home runs. We won't talk about the defense, but at the plate, he's very good. Yeah, he's very good, but I'm, I'm not handing yeah. out metaphorical like batting titles to him. No, I mean, a hitter, is, a hitter is more than average, Coop. 33 home uh, runs. I'm not saying the batting title RBI? is just like the batting average. I'm just saying I'm, I'm not handing out the feel good pat on the back to him. I spin zone, spin zone. I think we can all agree that Devers slightly underachieved yes. this year. And look at those numbers. Great. They're unbelievable. <laughs> look at those numbers, baby. No, no one's ever seen numbers like that. For me, Pat, the issue with Devers, and there's numbers that back this up. I don't want to go dig into them, bore our listeners, but. He was not good in big moments this year. He was no, swinging a lot. Very, yeah, unlike him. Yeah, he, he, and you know, attribute that to whatever you want. It's his first year in the big contract. He's the guy now. Maybe pressing a little bit. You you got to hope that somebody gets in his ear and just you know calm down because the guy has such unbelievable power. Makes contact. That ball's gonna fly. So Devers in a down year, still looking like one of the best hitters in the league. That's stuff right. you love to see. The other thing, this is just strictly eye test. I have not looked at the numbers yet. I feel like the chase rate was so up this year on outside of the zone pitches. It had to have been. I'm currently trying to bring um, up hand grabs, but hand grabs is going to be he slow the, as heck for me. You're right. So he, he was in the 25th percentile chase rate. So that's not very good. Yeah. 
What was he? Uh, do you have last year? Last year, he was 11th percentile. So got that got better, but other stuff got worse. So you know, give and take. <laughs> yeah. Running uh, your face on fan graphs for you. This yeah. I can't do. I can't get fan graphs to go faster. It's just like it. It is always. It just slow. kills everything in front of me. I'm giving up on it, and that's why I guess you should donate to fan graphs. But that's not an endorsement for fan graphs. <laughs> um. And I guess I'm going to round this out. Uh, I'm surprised this man is still on the board. And it is Will Flam- Fleming's favorite guy in the world. It's Pablo MF and Reyes. Um, he had, I mean, like he didn't play out the whole season and everything, but compared to him, I, the original pick was going to be Wilder uh, Breu. He had one of the highest uh, averages on the team. He had a really, really nice OPS as it came down, but comparatively, he hasn't had as many you know, appearances as everyone else. But I still wanted to go with someone young. I still wanted to go with someone optimistic. I had a feeling Cassis was going to get taken. I didn't want to go with old man JT because Gordo was going to swoop down from the clouds and make the logical decision of choosing him to be your best hitter. So I wanted to go with Pablo Reyes because he gave us so, so many nice moments this year. And additionally, he came up big in big moments. Like we're just talking about Devers, you know, squandering some moments that you would like to see him, you know, help deliver the team especially with men in scoring position and it felt like Pablo Reyes anytime he got up with men on you figured he was going to do something at least poke the ball somewhere so Pablo Reyes my selection as a hitter of the year for the Boston Red Sox Pablo getting some love I like not? that how can you not we um Pablo. we're gonna move this along because we are we just dragged on the hitting so we got to pick this up uh best pitcher Let's rattle through. Pat, you're going to go first this time, baby. Yep, new order. I like it. I'm going to I'll give someone a I'll give someone a I'll throw someone a bone. I'm going to go next Ooh. Ooh. Spice. Picked up a role that he didn't want and you know, he really ran with it. I picked up a role that he didn't want. Absolutely thrived in it. Then because of injuries, DFAs, what what may have you, vaulted back into the role that he does want and does nothing but perform in the role that he wanted from the get-go. He was, going back to what Gordo said, available, reliable. Every time he touched the rubber, he was phenomenal from about June, July, whatever it was. I think like those first two appearances after getting moved were a little shaky, but after that, he he became the most reliable pitcher, not just relief pitcher, the most reliable pitcher for the Red Sox on that staff. Great. From... Nailed. From that point on, when he got switched into the bullpen for the first time, he had a 3.16 ERA the remainder of the season, and that's in over 100 innings. Like, that's wildly impressive. Like, he was nailed for the Sox. He, just, he was probably, if if by some miracle the Red Sox made the postseason this year, he would have probably been the key pitcher do you in think, that run. He was that good over Do they move him pitch. up front? If they make, I feel like this is a wasted conversation. There's really no need for it, and it'll just make us sad. But you think he stays bullpen? Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Why not use? Is here okay? I don't get this. I would get, you know, fill out your first four spots of the rotation. Why would you not just have opener Pavetta? If it's a one inning opener, I mean, people hate that. I don't understand it. If it works, does he need it though? Does he need it? If he doesn't need it, great. But if he does, and it seems like he's more comfortable that way, 
for the you're most already part, set up to, for that failure. Not to say that it's a failure that he only goes like one or two, but you're already prepared for him to go a short distance, so it, it can't hurt. No, no, I'm saying like if if you have if you have an opener pitch an inning, an inning plus, and then Pavetta goes six. Oh, you're saying go like, go opener Pavetta. I got you. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, okay. so he's the yeah, old yeah. guy. He's still pitching starter innings. It's just it's in a format that's more comfortable. We, we know how mental this game is. If that's what he needs, I don't see a problem. And I know that's a super unpopular opinion, but if you use the reliever in the first inning, he gets you three outs, doesn't give up anything, and then Pavetta gives you six or seven. What's the difference? I think it's fine. I don't hate that. I, I think it's just like a weird dynamic for like the playoffs, and it's just like my caveman brain being like, that's not what's supposed to happen for the playoffs. I need a big game starter. I, that's that's fair but yeah. just talking to my insane, caveman brain i i i do like your once yeah. you explain it to me and you lay it out like a five-year-old i appreciate that Stan. might even be the other thing is playoffs, man because you can you can get through that first inning match them up it's also allows you to so, play it by ear you know, of like how you want to like really utilize your bullpen of like well pavetta's cruising right now and we know that chris sale has been shaky this year can probably only give you four innings so we're gonna like let Pavetta ride if he is doing well. Like I, I, I wish we could have seen. That. I knew this conversation would make me sad. Sammy, what what would be your pitcher of the year? This is the easiest question yet. By far, the best pitcher on the Red Sox all year long. The guy I picked in our second podcast, Chris Martin. Let me tell you his ERA plus. This is this is just absurd. ERA plus one hundred is average. He was 434. That is ridiculous. He pitched 51 innings, gave up only 45 hits. Anyone want to take a guess how many guys he walked over 51.1 innings? I'm going to say less than 15. Whoa. It was eight. probably like five. He walked eight eight guys. Eight guys. He pitched over 50 innings. He walked eight guys. That is unbelievable. And he struck out 46. That is 199 batters faced. That is absolutely ridiculous. Good for a 1.05 ERA. Absurd. He was the calming presence all year long. What a season for that guy. I hope I hope that doesn't fly under the radar because that deserves some love. My God. Automatic. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe his first or second outing accounted for a quarter of the guys he walked this year. I think he walked two guys his first or second start. I do, first, I do remember period. him walking like the one of the first few batters he faced, and I was like, "Oh come on, this is why we got him. He doesn't walk guys." Yeah. What? Here, I can I can go on. Pull um, it up because that means from April onward, he walked six total guys. Yeah, I mean he's it's just ridiculous, man. Like like That's what insane. a season for this guy. Just just incredible. A pleasure to watch. It, it was one of the few guys who came into games this year where you're just like, "All right, cool. I can kick back, relax." Let's see how he slices through these three guys. And he would I, for the most part, I felt that way. Not, I didn't feel that way about everyone in the bullpen. I mean, outside like the bear claws and everyone, but for the most part, I felt like every time we hit the bullpen in the socks were the socks were typically losing at that point, but I would just kind of be like, all right, it's just riding it out and seeing if the offense yeah. can do anything now. I, yeah, first, first half especially. I, I agree. The bullpen was very good this year for the most part. The the overall numbers. They're not going to really wow you, but you like, it was very serviceable. Yeah. And, and that's we kind of said that, and we've been beating that to death where it's kind of like the starting pitcher pitching was the thing that you need to really fix. But every, every one of the four Red Sox teams that have won the World Series, they've all had a guy that just lowers your blood pressure when they take him out of the bullpen. Like Chris Martin, 
Koji. There's always a guy on the team. So actually, maybe not 2018, Craig mm. Kimball. But anyway, you got to have one guy that just shuts it down. And Chris Martin, all year long, just so, so reliable. And what a great walk-in song. It's an aggressive rap song for this guy with gray hair. I love it. He's great. It was a good time. And um, I mean, Gordo, who wants to go first? Me or you, Gordo? What do you do? You want to cap it off or do you want to... You I'll cap, cap it, off. it off, Coop. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard for me to not make the art. Just make further arguments for Chris Martin because it. It feels to me like it's so obviously Chris Martin. He's going to finish. What he's got to be top twenty in the Cy Young this year for sure, right? And not even as a closer. But I'm going to make the argument for someone else because I want to. I'm going to make the argument for Brian Bale. This is a guy who we entered the year and talking baseball didn't even put him in the top five guys in the Red Sox rotation. But Red Sox fans were, or they appeared to be excited about about Brian Bale, and they were right because for the entirety of the year, when you needed a guy to step up, you wanted an ace on the mound. He may not have been that ace start to finish, but if the Red Sox had an ace starting pitcher this year, it was Brian Bale. This is a guy who, once he got going, you know, outside of after April, this is a guy who shut down key competition, good competition. He loves facing the Yankees. He crushes the Yankees. He's a rookie, and he kind of fell apart a little bit at the end, but the best starting pitcher the Red Sox had start to finish, just pure consistency, was Brian Bayo. And Nick Pavetta probably deserves the argument over Bayo, and Chris Martin is the best pitcher on the Red Sox. But if you want to know who the ace of the Red Sox is moving forward, barring some, some addition from the outside, it's Brian Bayo, and he established that this year. Gordo, can I can I give you a funny Bayo stat? Yes, I'd love so, it. You know how everyone was saying, oh, he can't pitch during the day. He never pitches well during the day. That was the whole story with Brian Bayo all year. Only pitches well in night games. Listen to the split. <laughs> okay, day games, 3.06 ERA. Oh. Very good. 109 innings. Uh, not bad. <laughs> day game. Give me night. Yeah, sorry, night games. That's night games. This is day games. 6.94 ERA. How do you explain that? It's crazy that everyone would start that started as a joke. And just kind but of route, like it, it was just kind of riding out the air. Yeah. It's a thing. It's bizarre. It I actually like to change my answer. My answer is nighttime bail. Nighttime. And I actually don't think there you can dispute that. What nighttime bail. The is weird the thing for me is like it doesn't even matter if he's in a dome or not. Like it's it's purely like a time of day of like getting his body ready and like being ready to just go for it, which is I I feel kind of weird at this level. I don't know if anyone else feels kind of like weirded out by that, but I I just feel like that's and Corey kind of talked about this, like where he wants to work with players a lot more this offseason as far as like getting themselves ready for games and whatnot. Uh, but I felt like that was just like such an odd like I feel like that's a little league thing. Like little Johnny can't get himself ready for a Sunday afternoon game the way that he can get himself ready for like a Wednesday afternoon game just because he doesn't have school and whatnot to wind him down. He's got too much energy on a Sunday, so he can't focus. Like, I just feel like that's what's going on. Like, I feel like that's something we should be moved past once we're at the MLB level. But I guess here we are with Bayo. Uh, the other thing, too, is it's almost so backwards. Like most guys struggle out of the bright lights. He'll carve up the Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball, but he'll get pumped by the Royals on at 1 o'clock on a Wednesday. Yeah. 
it's the weirdest thing how it's almost backwards. Maybe it's just like he rises <laughs> to the occasion. Weird. Big Twilight. He's like, yeah. Big big fan of Twilight. He's a vampire. Or he's like cosplaying. Oh, I could get. They liked. Maybe Brian they, they played baseball in Twilight, right? Right. They did. That's right. <laughs> I haven't even seen those movies, and I know they play because everyone sends. Oh, me that every everyone's just now. sending you a Twilight clips of baseball. Every day, dude, I wake up to like 42 texts and they're like, dude, you watch Buddy, you Twilight? see Edward yeah. Cullen with his uh, 314 FIP today? Holy moly. See, I don't know who Are Edward you kidding Cullen me right is. now? Brian Bayo in Day Games. Is that the guy Brian with the That's um, Day Games that's is Batman. Bruce Wayne. At who's night, Taylor? Brian Bayo is Batman. Who's, who's Taylor Lautner's character? Um, that's Lava Boy. Or that's Fish Boy. Shark, Shark Boy. Boy. Lava yeah. Um, awesome. We know awesome. Chick Flicks, huh? Yeah. We're yeah, yeah, we know culture. I'm gonna move on to my final pitcher. It, no shock here. I'm going with Pablo Reyes once again. Uh he had one of the best <laughs> FIPS on the t- I kid you not. He of the qualification for qualified pitchers here is that you were just able bodied at some point. Um, but he had one of the best FIPS of any pitchers for the Red Sox this season. So I'm gonna round this off. Best pitcher. There goes my pen. Fe- best pitcher for the Red Sox is Pablo Reyes for Cooper, um, and Coop. I don't mean to rain don't on your do this parade. to me. According to his stats, hit a nine point two. Don't bring. It to, I told you, and a four point five ERA. I just didn't want saying, anyone to fact check saying. me there. I was just kind of ride off that, but <laughs> what's his expected fit? Uh, FIP though, why don't you give that a Google for me? Oh yeah, give that X FIP, Sammy. X FIP. <laughs> I don't know if that's available. That's definitely available. <laughs> I think you win this round. Let's see. His ERA plus is 118, so that's good. He's 18% better than your Let's your play, let's yeah, play yeah, PR baby. for uh, Pablo Reyes here. Yeah, for Pablo. Yeah, for Pablo. Uh, opposing batters had an 872 OPS against him. Again, this isn't the point. We're looking at expected FIP. Dude, that's, yeah. That's, that's all that matters. That matters. Yeah, dude, they were just getting lucky. You gotta, you gotta look at those expected stats if you want to see what he's. If really you doing. want an accurate gauge on where we are, you look at the fit. We don't. You know what's sad is you just, you just picked a, a utility infielder for a pitcher, and none of us flinched. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like if you, if you didn't actually cool, care man. about the stats behind him, I probably would have coasted on that. Yeah, I had to throw you. <laughs> yeah, you had to keep me in check. Coop got put in the wood chipper there. Yeah, that's the accountability the that we want, though. You. All right, give me the Pablo Reyes oh, yeah. pitching numbers. Why? Come on, come on, Baseball Reference. I apparently you also have to pay into this to make it run well. Crazy that you have to make donations. Um, yeah, Coop, you might want to make a, a donation to uh, Xfinity Foundation, the Red Sox Foundation, specifically for Baseball Reference. Um, yeah, no, I don't know where he is here on now. Uh, all right, I've lost Pablo Reyes's number, so I guess we can't find it, uh, and he's doing just fine. Yeah, his expected FIP was 0.83, is my okay, guess. Yeah. So we'll just move I, on. Pff, buddy, that's Cy Young caliber right there yeah. if they had let him actually ride it out. Um, biggest surprise. Sammy, what do you got? Going, I think this is the third time. Oh, no. It has to be Pablo Reyes. Yeah. I, I truly believe I truly believe this. <laughs> If you say that you knew who Pablo Reyes was one year ago from today, you're a liar. This guy 
came over from the A's minor leagues and just burst on the scene. He gave us some of the best moments of the year. He was genuinely a good player. Every time he was out in the field, played solid defense, added some speed, a little bit of pop, hit well, and just generally seems like a well-liked guy. So I really like Pablo Reyes. I don't know what's going to happen to him next year, but at the very least, the Red Sox have some options with him in the role of a, in the way of a utility guy. So yeah, man, just there's always a guy like that every year, just comes out of nowhere. And I had an awesome time watching Pablo Reyes. So thank you, Pablo. Shout out Pablo. He's cleaning up. Like this is like Taylor Swift at the Grammys right now. Uh, <laughs> dude, dude's not gonna be able to hold all the metal on the way out. out My of the God, show. I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go with another young gun here. Um, Sedan Rafaela. I, I didn't expect him to be as entertaining as he was when he came up, and I also really wasn't expecting him to be playing as much as he did when he came up. I, that's the unfortunate part of this season and an ending kind of earlier than what we'd liked. But the benefit is that we are getting to see guys like Pablo Reyes and and Sedan Rafaela. And well, you're Abreu and kind of getting to go into the offseason wondering what the team's going to do with them. So getting to see Sedane play, there are flaws. I Everything that we had kind of thought we had been seeing at AAA, um, you know, it's there, but it's also the speed that he shows. I absolutely love that to know that we have both him and Jaron Duran as possibilities in the one hole. It feels like we have Ellsbury again almost. I mean, it was nice to have like one singular guy to rely on at all times, but to be to be able to have the presence of mind that like we have Jaron Duran in that one hole next year, and then also the possibility of having Sedane, like that's really fun for me, and that's what I'm kind of like looking forward to. Yeah, you can you can have Duran at the top of the order, Rafael towards the bottom, and then you got Story somewhere in the middle. That's some good team speed. That plays uh, a lot more nowadays than it did a year Stone ago. Stone bases, so, baby. Stone bases are back. We're gonna be wrong. Boston back B running. Back, uh, Gordo. Boston. What do you got for a surprise? I'm, I'm going to go with Cutter Crawford. Mm. I'm going to go with Cutter because if you think about it, let's let's go back. He pitched one game for the Red Sox in 2021 and really was not even remotely on anyone's radar. 2022 comes up. No one knows who he is. He's making a couple of spot starts, and you know he kind of shows some flashes, but he's not a guy that coming into this year – anyone had on the radar of being like a consistent major league staple. And if he was going to be that, we all figured it would be in the bullpen. But this is a guy who came into spring training. He had a great spring training as a starter. And then, you know, he tried to see, he started to begin the year and it wasn't that great. He had that tough inning or that tough outing against the pirates goes into the bullpen, absolutely shoves. And then when injuries came calling, he hopped into that rotation and made a name out of himself. Like he is a legitimate guy. He is a big league starting pitcher, and whether the Red Sox want him in their rotation, whether they want to have him as rotation depth moving forward, whether he's a trade candidate, I don't know. But he has made a name for himself, and I really just don't think anyone saw that for Cutter Crawford coming into the year. I don't know where you guys stand on this, but you could legitimately make arguments that Cutter Crawford is more valuable today than either Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock. And if you told me that coming into the season, I'd have been legitimately stunned. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue. Yeah. I mean, he was he yeah. was uh, he was steady. He was steady, which you can't really say from any of the uh, other guys on the team. ERA just north of four. Um, there's not too much else you can say. I think you covered it, Gordo. He he went out there. He kind of gave you. He kept you in games. He never blew anyone away. You know, once in a while he'd have a gem, but steady Eddie. And uh, 
Yeah, we need more of more guys like that next year. Jeez. God, give me any give me steady Eddie in the rotation, please. Give me five steady Eddie. I Eddies. mean we could have Erod. Eddie. Not so Eddie. steady Eddie, but Talk still a little steady Eddie. steady Eddie. Um He's Eddie. Another good thing about Cutter Crawford, thing that I know um drives us crazy when guys walk people. Cutter Crawford this year, 135 strikeouts, 36 walks. That's a beautiful thing. Love that. And Pat, I love it. Why don't you uh, bring us home? I'm going with friend of the program, Brendan Bernardino. Okay, Ooh. that's deserving. Yeah. Good answer. 55 games, 3.2 ERA, carved himself a nice little role in the bullpen. He, toward the end, he, if I remember correctly, toward the beginning of the year, some rough outing. Once he kind of got that. his footing, but no, I'm I'm commenting him. Once he got the footing down, he was one of those guys that lowers your blood pressure. Toward the middle half to the end of the season, he was one of those guys that was a reliable guy, sixth, seventh, eighth inning, that I saw come in and I just knew that it was going to be one, two, three, or one runner get out of it. He was a reliable bullpen arm for a guy who was a waiver claim by Hine. Yeah, and for that, I yeah, I mean. We've seen multiple, more than multiple, waiver arms that Haim has picked up just completely and utterly fail. Brendan Bernardino was the complete opposite of that. He was fantastic this year out of the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's cool about Bernardino is he was he was sent down kind of, I think it was towards the beginning of the season. Came back May, up. I think. Came, yeah. came back up and pitched well. So he's got that mental toughness on his side. That's something he yeah. looked for. Um, and he started getting some high leverage spots. He also was a good opener for Pavetta. So yes, a versatile relief. We love that. And like you said, Do you, I loved opener Bernardino. That was one of my favorite eras of the season was getting to watch Bernardino open up every fifth day for a good month. And he just killed it. And Pavetta coming right out after him just killed it. Those, those games were games that everyone thought the Red Sox were going to lose and fall out of the race because they didn't have five starters. And they legitimately won like 75% of them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What's wrong if you have Bernardino pitch one inning every five days and then Pavetta pitch the next six? I mean, you got this wonky left-handed delivery, throwing these sweepers all over the place. Then you bring in Pavetta with that big overhand heater and the curveball. I like it. Do you you think that's going to be something moving forward that the Red Sox even think about incorporating, though? Like, Do you think they're just going to move to a five-man rotation and any bit of having Bernardino as your opener is kind of out the window? I. No, no, no. I, I think I think you can still call it a five man rotation if you got day one, day two, day three, day four, standard starter. Day five and then on the fifth open. day, you have But do you think with yeah, I mean like and this is gonna kind of transition or we're not gonna transition yet because I wanna do our favorite or we're we're not gonna do biggest disappointment. We're gonna cut that. Um we're yeah, I'm sorry. I wanna do biggest you disappointment. You wanna do biggest all right, we'll do biggest disappointment and then I'll bring up the whole Bernadino. Uh, direction and whatnot. I just don't know. My whole point there, Sammy, is that I just don't know what direction this like organization wants to go in with their GM and whether a GM would want to do the new style of pitching or kind of stick with traditional. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to comment. Not much to comment on right now. We don't even know. He's all hypothetical. Like I'm woozies, woozies. Yeah, like in a vacuum, we know nothing. In a vacuum, I don't hate the idea of Pavetta being treated as a traditional starter, but he just has a guy pitch one inning before him. Every other everything else traditional starter you just come in in the second inning so the fiddler first, on the roof type tradition tradition I'm the fiddler on the roof okay I was thinking right, the actual yeah. musical not a rap but okay uh, <laughs> yeah. um, biggest right. disappointment 
I'll go really quick. Uh, Alex Verdugo, beginning of the year, I was saying five years, 75 million. You got to extend him. Great defense. He's hitting in the mid 300s. Uh, and then you come to the end of the season, he hits uh, 264 with an OPS plus of 99. So below average hitter. Defense took a hit too. Um, there were the off the field issues. Just really, really disappointing. I really wanted him to succeed. He seems cool. Um, yeah, man, I, I don't think he's back next year. I'm going to go ahead and just go for it Sorry, here. I, uh, Ryan I, Brazier with the Dodgers. Um, that that sucked. That sucked. Uh, just like having a sub three ERA at one point, having a sub two ERA uh, with the Dodgers as soon as he went over there. He's, that was double the amount of time that he had this past season where he had a seven ERA with the Red Sox. So just knowing how influential he was with the Dodgers... Like I thought he was just kind of kind of be there and you know he would be an arm if they need to waste some innings, but he actually turned into something that was more than serviceable for them. And it'll be interesting. Honestly, like I don't hate the guy. I know I banged on him a lot, but to know that he had this kind of redemption arc, like I'm happy for him. Like that's that's what sport that's what makes sports so cool is like you have guys that you know they have those moments where they overcome something and this was yeah. an instance of, you know, change of scenery for Ryan Brazier. I wish things could have worked out here. Cause I mean, he's demonstrating right now how great of a pitcher he is and he could have been an asset for the Red Sox. And it's unfortunate that did not turn out that way. Yeah, and he had a good attitude when he was here too, even though it didn't work out, you know, some guys don't have a good attitude before they get traded. He did have a good attitude. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't say it's a disappointment. I'm happy. It's a disappointment that he didn't do it for us. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, but we got the ring. So let me build, let me let me build off yours with mine because mine's related. I'm going with Dave Ooh. Bush. Dave Bush is my biggest disappointment this year, and Ryan Brazier is probably the biggest the biggest supporting evidence you could have for it. With the Red Sox, he's got a seven two nine ERA in twenty games. With the Dodgers, goes right over there thirty nine games oh seven oh ERA. And to go beyond that, you had we we called this kind of a bridge year from the start. And one of the biggest things this year is we wanted to see what we could get out of the young starters see who could kind of fortify themselves as a as a rotation piece moving forward. And two of the biggest names there were Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Houck. And it was disappointing for me to see both of those guys finish with ERAs over five. You know, they both had their bright spots. They both had good starts and good stretches of starts, but they just weren't consistent. Uh, injuries piled up for Garrett Whitlock and, you know, poor Tanner Houck got hit in the face and it kind of derailed the season. But they just, it didn't, neither of them established themselves as a legitimate rotation piece for the Red Sox. And that was disappointing to me. And I'm putting it on the staff. I'm putting it on Dave Bush. You got those guys. You got Ryan Brazier. He does badly here. Goes elsewhere, does well. Got Zach Littell. They couldn't get anything out of him. He leaves and goes to Tampa, becomes a legitimately decent big league starter, if not a good big league starter. So yeah, I'm putting it on Dave Bush. We need wow, to be better in bushy. that avenue. That was well said. Not a fan of Bush. Um, and Gordo, normally when people um, critique a coach on the coaching staff, I normally scoff at it because, you Me know, too. we're not in the clubhouse. We don't know what they're teaching. We don't know what's going wrong, what's going right. But with Dave Bush, there's so much smoke. You got to assume there's a fire. And I think you you laid it out nicely. So, yeah, I, I think that's a fair pick and uh, a rare, fair criticism of a non-manager. I, I Agreed. I never do that. I never do it. But the Brazier thing is kind of the only evidence you need because they they tried so hard there. Like they gave 
they gave Brazier like so so many a calendar year of being just Big terrible. Reason. And you and, know it stinks. And it was just instant. It was instant the second he got to LA. And that's that's why you gotta I mean he learns a cutter, he learns a new pitch. That's what's that wasn't something they tried here. Like that's the tough part is that the way it's being framed, at least in the media or on Twitter, wherever you are, is that all the Dodgers did was teach him a cutter. How bad does that make Dave Bush look? I mean, I'm not trying to to rag on the guy. Again, I don't know what he's doing or what he's not doing, but ugh, all they did was that, and now he's good. It just doesn't look. It's not a good look for him. So uh, the other thing too is when there's multiple cases of the same thing. Yeah, a lot of smoke. Like Sammy said, when there's smoke, there's a fire. I mean, you have Brazier, you have Lytel, you have Jeffrey Springs, who was a legit Cy Young candidate in Tampa. Deekman. Deekman. Mm-hmm. Deepman, like there's a legit there's legit the like, thing that worries me once you start racking up pitchers who figure it out somewhere else not even the same location different pitching coaches it, that becomes and the thing that like always worries me about that is that it's like a top-down type thing whereas if your pitching coach at the major league level is having these issues with guys coming up are we even developing them the proper way i mean you look at like i always point to what I would want the Red Sox to be able to do with their pitching is what Cleveland is able to do year in and year out. Cause it feels like Cleveland is just nonstop with churning out incredible bullpen pitchers that either end up going elsewhere or end up going to their starting rotation and even killing it there. So, I mean, like at some point as a top organization, you know, Red Sox like to boast about being a, a big market team. And, you know, we're going to get to the press conference in a little bit here where, Sam Kennedy talks about winning World Series is what they do. Well, like those type of teams know how to develop players. You look at what the Dodgers do, and we just said right there with Brazier, they were able to turn him around, and it's kind of like, why aren't the Red Sox able to do that? So I, Gordo, I'm a big fan of that 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 pick, and I might be out on Bush as well. Are we out on? Are we all collectively out on Bush? I mean, I I think, like I said, I think Gordo did a great job explaining it. I just don't. I, 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 I'm not in the room. Exactly. I don't know what he's teaching. It's such an intricate yeah. thing. It, it, he's not on the field. We can't critique his play. It's so hard to say. But again, a lot of smoke. And on that, uh, or who who have we not gotten to the biggest disappointment? Pat? Pat's got to go. Pat, Pat's got to get more. Yeah. Just to preface, the expectations were not high. Oh, but my God Almighty, Corey uh, Kluber! Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought you were gonna go different there because one. Are you, I'll let, round it out. Tell us why Corey Kluber is a disappointment, Pat. Because some might not know why. Where do I start? <laughs> the salary? Um, this is a great screenshot. <laughs> you gotta clip this. The salary, the walks, um, the availability, the amount of games he played, uh, the IL stints. Um, everything. I don't think one thing went right. All right, that's fair well, enough. You make some really him. great points. Corey Kluber, the, the, the worst thing that Kluber did was he broke Pat. Look yeah. at his face. He's broken. It was, like, I, it's unfathomable. It is, I, what happened? Like, There's granted, no- he was, he was nothing. He was not an all-star in Tampa last year. Like, I understand that. You can't be serviceable. You can't even hold down a bullpen spot. What are I you doing? think he just doesn't want money. I, I think, yeah, he got 
He's got to. He's got to just be like, guys, you gave me too much money. We need to. This guy's yeah. rolling in cash. He's like, I, I wanted some, but you gave me too much, guys. We got to figure out a way to, to give this back. We got to yeah. teach you a lesson. This is a mistake. Tomorrow morning, you got him. I am tweeting a breakdown and tagging you all in a breakdown of how much Corey Kluber got paid per inning pitch this season. Oh, I might throw up. You're gonna ruin all of our Tuesday mornings. Pat, like Pat I've got yeah. an idea. You should do it. You should do amount he got paid per scoreless inning pitch oh. that he threw this year. See how that 10 goes. Ten million. Ten million. I don't. I don't think he had one. Ten million. Uh, That'd be infinite. I'm gonna infinite give. Dollars. I'm gonna, infinite I'm gonna give dollars. a runner up. It's gonna be Paxton. Um, he. Yeah, because no. he. No. Second half Paxton. No. Second half Paxton. No. Second half Paxton. What did you expect? What did you expect? He hasn't pitched. But the fact that he had turned things around and he was looking so, not even turned things around, he was just looking very optimistic in his trajectory. And then everything just fell off after the trade deadline. And it's just, that was the disappointing thing because it's not only do you lose a pitcher in your staff, you also lose out on the pause. Like you have that presence of mind of, we should have ditched him. Like we should have traded him. Yeah. that's a disappointment yeah but you can't yeah i mean that we could we could rehash that but you know what the real disappointment is we flew too close to the sun we forgot who yeah. james paxton was we let it get away from us that he hasn't pitched since 1999 is that and he's just coming back. is that archimedes what's, that? what's the what's yeah 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 arkham, arkham city we, we greek something yep arkham yep. city we flew too close to the sun look it's it's easy to lose sight of that i get why you're disappointed i don't think it's that crazy but like, what did we expect? I, it's it's about it all averages out to what we expected, I think. But yeah, the second half, I guess you could that say was a was disappointment. And uh, moving on to the last, uh, before ooh. before we hold on, before we move on, Qu- quick shout out, quick shout out to Kike Hernandez for not getting a single vote in the shout out all my homies. Let's go. Not a disappointment. It's what we expected. Let's move on. The real Dom or Dom the Dom Worldwide. Pat would know that. Pat would know that. Um, moving on to favorite moment of the year. Um, this one's going to be a little. I'm. Who wants to go first? Someone want to. You want to go first, go Pat? First. Go first, Pat. Yeah. My there's there was a couple of things here. Uh, I don't want to float anything because I don't want to spoil anybody's or change anybody's opinion. My favorite moment of the season was the third out in the ninth inning yesterday. Damn it, you took mine. <laughs> they put That's me good. out of my misery yesterday. That's fair. Yep, yep. second. Okay. I second that favorite moment. Is, no, uh, Pablo Reyes' grand slam. Oh, second good. favorite was That's the end of the one. season. Uh, I don't uh, another one I thought of was Kenley's 300th day. I forgot about that. I'm that not going to cool. lie. I forgot about that. That was fun. It's awesome that like he got that save, and then just everything went well right after Everything that. went so, we don't yeah. have the Red Sox went on to win a World Series after that. People forget. That's true. They have won a World Series in our lifetime. What? Yeah. Not okay. Hey, uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say Verdugo's three consecutive leadoff home runs that corresponded with the Dodgers series. Uh, I we, we said he was a disappointment. I don't disagree that he was a disappointment. Um, but I thought that was a really nice moment for him. I, I had tweeted at the time that that has to be like extremely cathartic for him where you're going up against Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is getting standing ovations in your own park and you just end up like starting the game off on a a home run. So, I mean like that, I felt that was cool. If we're going to take any like positives from the year that I want to feel positive about that. And Verdugo, depending on where he is 
going forward. That was cool. Um, Gordo. I, I think, I, I think uh, like my actual pick, um, I was half kidding with mine. I thought the Duval walk-off in the opening series against Baltimore was really cool. Um, I don't know if I'd put that, that on the awesome. Reyes one, but just wanted to give it a mention. That was really cool. It first was time also, we got to see the lights. I believe, first time we got yeah, to see the lights. Yeah, that was fun. It's pretty cool. Good point. Duval. That's some added, that's some Holy, added flair oh, to They that added moment. lights and we barely that's got possible. to enjoy them this year. Oh my God, this year sucked. Coop, do you know how much of a crisis the energy crisis is? We're saving the lights for okay. next year for McFarland. McFarland's saving up all their energy for it for next year. That's that's My hair is getting more crazy as this podcast goes on because it's just making me rehash everything that happened this year. Um, let's move on to the end of season presser. That happened yesterday. Uh, oh, Gordo. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. They, having to talk about... I'm, I'm sorry. I, we started talking way too much. Do about we have this. to mute Coop for the next? Do we have to mute Coop for ten minutes? What Is the that hell? the rule here? No, I'm kidding, Coop. You, right. you can stay. I'll give you my just like you, Coop, as, because you picked a sequence of moments. You didn't pick a single moment. You picked a sequence. I'm going to do the same thing. It was right in the midst of Tristan Casas's emergence and breakout, and he pieced one off of Spencer Strider, and then the very next game. Facing Logan Webb in San Francisco, he fouls two consecutive pitches off himself, and I'm sitting in that crowd in San Francisco, and I'm and I'm telling people, if he gets a, a hit here, that would be so freaking impressive. <laughs> he puts the very next pitch, he hits it so unbelievably far the opposite field. I have no earthly idea how he did it. I my jaw dropped to the floor, and that that was like, he was having moments of like, here he is, this guy is here, he's a star. That moment right there when he hit that bomb off Logan Webb was his ultimate, like, acknowledge me, I'm Tristan Casas moment. 431 and feet to the opposite field in ridiculous. windy San Francisco. That is insane. If you've been to that ballpark, Lovely ballpark. it's huge and it's tough. It's like the wind is swirling at all times. So to friggin', that was probably the coolest home run of the year. I'm with you, Gordo. That was a really good one. Opposite field, too, again. That's insane. Yeah. And, like, for what this season is, like, we all wanted to see young guys kind of show themselves and be, like, established big league players by the end of the year. Tristan Costas in that moment did that for me. And so that, when I look back on this year as, like, what were some productive things that we saw and some things that we can take into future years, like, that's right at the top of my list. 30 and a half. Right? Awesome. Is, is that what we have the line set at? 30, 29, 29 and a half. And a half. 29, and a half. 29 and a half, yeah. The easiest, easiest um, one in my life. We need to come up MVP with what, like what the specifics of it are, but tickets. Just tickets, yeah. I, yeah. It will figure All it right. out. Um, and moving on to the presser. Uh, the presser was Monday afternoon at 3 p.m. It only consisted of Alex Cora and Sam Kennedy, uh, John Henry, Tom Werner, any other members of Fenway Sports Group not present. We talked about that whole rigmarole last week, our thoughts on it and whatnot. But what was actually said was a whole lot of recycled gabagool. Um, I, that's the best way I could figure it out. Uh, if you want to go and watch it, watch the first 10 minutes. Uh, you'll get a gist of what the whole message is going to be going to the offseason. Uh, some of the biggest, some notes, I uh, quick notes I wrote down. See if you guys can make any sense of this gibberish. Um, it's kind of like Charlie Kelly thoughts here. No timeline on GM. That's a pretty mm -hmm. straightforward one. Robust, 
parentheses described like food falling short of when they need to be that one doesn't make any sense uh possible to build and win parentheses uh shortcoming is allocation and resources who wants to pick a who wants to pick a bullet there and try and figure out what the hell was going on in my head when i saw that dude i'll I'll do them all at once there's a whole lot of (laughs) yeah very good i i i don't know if i ever said this on on the show i have no thoughts nothing nothing burger we'll believe it when we see it whatever just I mean, like, jargon. You did miss oh, one thing, that? Coop. That uh, that I was tweeting some highlights on my on my timeline as it was happening, and the one thing that I think got the most traction was uh, that Sam Kennedy said that there was going to be a modest ticket oh, price yeah, increase I... for the coming year. And I feel like, I mean, they do this every single year. Like they they will do it every single year, and every single year we will have the same reactions of people freaking out like oh my god they came in last place and they they're increasing ticket prices anyway like i'm never going to fenway park again not giving them a dollar of my money like it's just the way of the business like i i hate it too like you shouldn't be able to increase ticket prices after a last place season but this is the business it's supply and demand and as long as they keep getting 30k plus a night at fenway park they're going to keep increasing season ticket prices uh i did find it funny though going off of that real quick that every single question that they were asked today was this umbrella terminology, vague answers, like, are you going to add payroll? We're in the business of winning, blah, blah, blah. The only question that they directly answered the entire day was, there will be an increase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, PR masterclass. I've said it before on the show. Sam Kennedy is he's very great. good at this stuff. So people and even it, like, yeah, he's good. You, you could, he's a you could tell. So when they fired Bloom and they had that press conference, he said the, the whole motto of the team is that they play for championships. And he goes, that's what we've always said. And that's not what they were saying the last couple of years. It's that they, they are a competitive team and they will always put out a competitive team. They're now using the word championship so much. And at one point they even talked about, you know, what is the best business practice for this team? And Sam Kennedy said, the, what puts people in seats is an entertaining ball club. And what makes an entertaining ball club is winning games and winning games is typically on to, you know, like the whole, you win games to win championships, yada, yada, yada. That was a good answer. I like that. That, that actually said, that the, said it straight that they are, they want to play for a championship this year, that anything short of a world series is a failure to them. And that's kind of the first time since Bloom was hired that they had said that the ultimate goal is to win a world series this upcoming year. It wasn't over committing to but being a competitive team. But this is what they do. They, they withhold that word. And then they say, okay, now he's gone. Yeah, it's not that much of a difference, but it is like it. And one of the things that rubbed me the wrong way, and that's why I have this written down as direct quotes of the uh, possible to build and win is what Sam Kennedy said. He said, the the part of this team that needs to be looked at when they they bring in this GM is that they want a plan where they can be able to both build and win. And that rubbed me the wrong way because they've already built. Like, like Gordo went yeah, off about this and his whole, like, I, Gordo can go off again if he wants to. But what Heim Bloom did, it was he already took care of the building part. It's now at a part, it's out, it, it's where it is, where it's sustainable now. And we, we can talk about it again, where they're beating it. Uh, like, what's that? I just don't think it's true. You don't build. No, and, and that's win. what I mean. And like people they've already it. done the building part. They're now just going to go after the winning part. Like they can continue to be sustainable yeah, in what they're doing. You. 
that's not necessarily building. It's being sustainable. And like now they're going to yeah, actually spend going, to I win. Agree. Like for Sam Kennedy to use that, I feel like that was a little bit of a slap in the face of Heim Bloom. And I, there were some other comments that I think were a little of like ingest to him where it's talking about actually yeah. going out and like allocating resources properly, I believe was a term used. So it, I think there yeah. is like a culture change. It's not much of a culture change. It's a PR culture change, but that's everything that was kind of, I think, shelled out at the, the presser. Yeah. Another thing that stuck out to me was because the four of us were at winter weekend last year, we were standing there with Sam Kennedy and Heim did their radio time and both of them reiterated several times building around this young core, building around this young core, competitive around this young core. The second Heim is gone, they're saying championship, playoff team, but that young core is already there and they know that. So they've completely flipped it over to, okay, let's, let's allocate this revenue. Let's allocate this money and let's build a playoff team knowing that the young core is already there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pat, you said it well. And, and they said the build and win thing for the last, what, three years. There's no team that builds and wins. You build the team, then you win, and then you either maintain it or you don't. The only example of a team that's kind of sort of built and win is the Dodgers, and they've really only won one time. So, like, I, I don't know. The whole thing, the more you look back on it, you don't build and win. Who has built and win? The Astros stunk for like five years, and then they started winning. The Orioles, here's the same thing. They stunk, Atlanta. Then they started Atlanta. Mid for a long time, then they start winning. You you build, then you win, and you either maintain it or you do what the Red Sox do, where they, you know, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. But that's it's like right there though. That that's they're not saying when they're saying build and win. The way I take it is not that they're going to be all in on building and all in on winning. I just think that they want to get away from what you're saying right there with those peaks and valleys. Like yes, we're going to try to win, but we're not going to completely decimate the system and create this crater period like they've done multiple times at the, in the last decade they've done it multiple times like they're saying we're not going to do that again like when they say build and win i feel like the last few years they've kind of been like 75 percent build 25 percent win now i feel like they kind of want to edge towards that like 60 to 65 percent build 60 to 65 percent win while keeping like 30-ish percent build like they're they're not they're not going to completely kill the farm. They're still going to prioritize development. No, and I, and prioritize I, I think, I think anyone um, can probably realize now that like most people do that where it's all like every team is doing that where they are consistently building. Like it's not like building ever stops, but I do think that they, like you said, they probably are going to shift to like, it's less of a focus on building up that farm system and more of a focus on yeah. how do we allocate assets to actually bring in like something that benefits that, that major league team. Um, yeah. It's like you can make trades. You can make the trades without trading everything. Like okay. they have, they have loads of talent in the farm, way more than they have room for with the rule five draft. So you trade some of it, some of it comes up, but you continue prioritizing scouting and drafting and making sure you get the right guys in the organization. And then it just never stops. That's how you get that consistent flow. And so yeah. can I ask yes. a question to everybody? No, here? So we're Red Sox fans. I would say we're very fortunate um, as baseball fans to be part of this market. We've seen four World Series championships in our lifetime. Uh, all the other fan bases can't say that. Which begs the question, what's most important to us? 
do we want this team, the Red Sox, to win the World Series? Or would we rather them be like the Dodgers, where they're competitive year in and year out, but they don't have too much to show for it? What's more important? Because this year sucked. We had a terrible time. We were miserable for most of it. But we have 2018. We'll never forget that. We have 2013, 2007, 2004. What's most important? Because that's where I'm a little bit lost. You can't Dodgers. guarantee championships. Dodgers. That's the issue. It's like you're talking, if you talk about the past, I would rather have what we have and have those championships. Sure. But if you're going to say that the Red Sox are going to be all in for two or three years and then it's going to crater, I am personally going to choose to believe that they're not going to get a championship out of that. I think they have a better chance of getting a championship if they're like most of the way in for like seven or eight years. Than if they're all in for three years, particularly with the way the playoffs are formatted now, you get more teams in there. You in baseball, you just need a shot. Yeah, just need a that's shot. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But to no. be to be a team like that and get it done, you need to be like the Astros, where you draft perfectly and you make all the right moves all the time. Yes. So that's so hard to do. So that's why I'm kind of like, what is the right way to run a team? What matters most, having a good team every year or securing the most World Series? It, it, which, again, Gordo, you can't guarantee a World Series. But it's such a weird line that you have to kind of balance. Like, and I, how do you go I about think it? That's, I think that's what's going to make, like, the further we get away from that period of baseball from 2003 to about, like, 2010, 2011 in Boston, which... You know, just so happens to be the same amount of time that Terry Francona is here. Shout out Terry Francona, by the way, people. Holy moly. You know, I, I should have should have been a Red Sox for life. Appreciate, Appreciate you, everything Tito. that he did. He is the best thing to happen to baseball. I can't wait for like all the stuff. The best thing that like it sucks to see him retire. It sucks to not see him in baseball anymore. This is a random tangent that I'm just going on right now. But the absolute best thing that is about to happen is every player that has ever played for him coming out and giving like a little tidbit story like of something that yes. like any Tito story you hear it's almost it, it's almost new to you every time that you hear it but it almost always ends in like you laughing because that is the type of guy Tito. that he was I wish I could have gotten to meet him while like I was working like I've been working for two years now at Fenway and have not had that crossover I'm hoping he starts to get into some baseball tonight stuff and does like analyst work. So I do ever like, I do get that possibility. Um, but yeah, like a amazing baseball character. I, someone that will go down in baseball history is like, and I don't think you can talk about Red Sox baseball without talking about Tito. So that's beside the point. No, no, um, not. but I think you look back and you see those times as so special because of what ownership did. I, I know it's not really in vogue to pump the tires of ownership, um, but they also had the help of Theo Epstein there. And to be able to do what he did and to bring together a team that was so liked by this market, like universally, that's tough. I don't think that will ever happen again. And uh, you kind of see that with what happened with the ovation that came out for Wakefield um, Sunday. Uh, kind of cap off the podcast this way. So season ends. Uh, but what really happened at the beginning of the day is people found out that um, Tim Wakefield had lost his battle with, um, we still don't know if it was brain cancer. I don't believe it was ever clearly stated. It, I, we know that it was a tumor. So I don't really want to say like geoblastoma. See, like I'm not even smart enough to to have a, a weighted conversation on that. Um, 
but it's it's really tragic what happened and i don't think there i don't think there was a single time where i went on twitter that day uh where i didn't see a really kind story or really kind words being poured out for tim wakefield and that's what's kind of special about him um we talked about it last week how much he did for the community uh he was the honorary chairman of the red sox foundation for the red sox since he retired he was a broadcaster he was a player himself he would be down there in spring training helping with coaching uh what sam kennedy said at the presser monday was basically there was not a single red sox player outside of maybe ted williams that was so influential in what the red sox mean um especially to the players and what they can mean to the community and um i think what maybe might have been the most difficult thing for me listen i'm a i'm a touchy-feely guy i teared up sunday um and that was mostly because you think of like you look at tim wakefield as like a regular guy and it's kind of unfortunate that this is something that i think made a lot of people come out and give him his flowers because he he wasn't pedro uh he wasn't you know mike lowell winning world series mvp he wasn't dustin bedroya he wasn't david ortiz he was tim wakefield he was the guy that was going to be the most serviceable man in the world uh it, one of his most like known moments is eating up innings in the 2004 alcs and to have that be your contribution to a team like it's not you striking guys out it's you making sure that the rest of your team can be serviceable the rest of the series and that is why he is kind of, I think, the embodiment of the Red Sox. And, you know, in his time, and I think he was around, he didn't really get his flowers because of that. And um, to now see, like, the ovation that he gets. And I, I think going forward, it in, I think they will probably make it known heading into the 04, or the 2000, 2024 season um, that he'll probably be pretty important to the Red Sox moving forward. And, uh, yeah, cancer sucks uh to yeah. to have things break down the way that they did that sucks to add on to it well well um, said coop just just yeah well said coop and well said. um tim wakefield 17 years of service with the red Sox, 19 in major league baseball and he did it in the most unusual way with a pitch that people don't dare to throw um i'm not sure if you guys Kirby. saw Yesterday, the last game of the season, George Kirby on the Mariners threw a, a nasty knuckleball uh, for his first pitch of the game, which he then confirmed was an ode to Tim Wakefield. And I mean, I remember a million times going out in the backyard with my dad trying so hard to throw a knuckleball. I probably got like two or three out of like a thousand attempts to actually knuckle. So yeah, man, it, it, hard day for all of us. Um, but you can't say enough good stuff about Tim Wakefield in a market as volatile as Boston to have a guy who's just universally liked, there's nobody who doesn't love Tim Wakefield. Um, I think that says it all about him. So um, we'll miss him thoughts and prayers to the Wakefield family and man, what a career, what a guy. Yeah. I, I guess we'll cap it at that. I don't know if you guys have any, I, well, said, enough well said, boys. before we close up shop, we got a long ass podcast here. Just enough said, I got a quick, quick Wakefield. Um, Give me a Wakefield, Wakefield memory, memory, bud. I do. Do any of you guys remember that game? He was pitching against the Oakland Athletics, and his knuckleball was just all. It was incredible that day. It was all over the place, moving like crazy. And they, the cam, the nesting cameras shot over to OCAT Orlando Cabrera, 
who was on the athletics at the time. And he's just in the dugout, like with, with all his teammates looking at him and he's like, Oh my God, like it was all over the, like you can see his, like he's moving his arms all over the place. Like he can't see the ball. That's awesome. I remember watching that as a kid and I just like that, like stuff like that is what made the knuckleball so fascinating. And just like, it's not just, you know, a guy like him goes beyond the pitch, you know, something like this couldn't have happened to a less deserving guy. As you said, Sammy universally loved and deserved it for everything he did both on and off the field, like an all around awesome guy, not a single person out there can say a bad word about him. And that's tough in this, in this media market. You don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it speaks volumes that every single person who tweeted anything about Tim Wakefield was just absolutely gushing in any way, shape or form they could. There was not one person who left it at rest in peace Tim Wakefield. You'll be missed. Every single person had some form of, individual story, remembrance, memory, and they were all just like the most positive stories. Yeah. And he did a lot of stuff behind the scenes that he doesn't get credit for, some fundraising stuff, some advocation, some being an advocate for things. And he was just one of those athletes who just embraced Boston, which was all you can ask for. Amen. So on that note, heading into the off season, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be uplifting, hopefully from here on out. Uh, but yeah, uh, a crappy way to end the season. But yeah, you got to be optimistic. You got to look to the future and see what, what's going on, I guess, on that note. Um, but until next time, we'll talk to you.